Hi, I'm April Plunkovich. And I'm Amanda McClooney, and this is Her Step Forward, where we share stories of women who step up, step out, and step forward into careers and lives they love. Our guest today is Christina Sheridan, a Chinese-American woman living in the San Francisco Bay Area who works full-time as a pediatric cardiologist while raising two girls and staying active as a year-round athlete. She spent a significant amount of time in her youth on the East Coast and living abroad, but calls California her home. She's been a master swimmer for over 25 years and just got back into the hang of running and biking with her kids and friends. She's known for her love of gardening, cooking, and always having an open door with a warm home she shares with her husband, two daughters, and six backyard chickens. I can attest to these facts because her husband's my cousin and that makes Christina family. I love visiting and partaking in the homemade steamed dumplings and backyard shenanigans with the girls when I'm out that way. Christina just started a new job as chair of the pediatric department where she oversees about 80 pediatricians and specialists in the care of underserved children. Welcome, Christina. I've heard so much about you from April, so it's nice to meet you. Hello, Amanda. Hello, April. Thank you for having me on your podcast. We're so thrilled. Um, So, Christina, you do triathlons, you run, you swim from Alcatraz to the San Francisco Bay, and your kids join you for some of these races. Um, So tell us why being active plays such an important role in your life. Well, all of us learn how to do things by role models and examples. And it also helps to have a very supportive husband. Robbie and I were both athletes as kids. And so while raising our girls, we, we support the idea of them being balanced in their athletics and the schoolwork to be the student athlete. And just because we're no longer in these sports as of high school doesn't mean we can't stop doing these as adults. Also, living in California, there's a lot of opportunities to keep being <laughs> active year-round because of the weather. Yeah, um, perfect. So, so we take advantage of it. And as the kids got older, we you know, we got them bikes to go biking with us. And now we're all doing these short 5Ks. And it's just a fun way to connect with other like-minded adults and to show the kids that, hey, physical activities is part of well-being in anything. And it's just fun to be out there because there's so much energy in a lot of these events. Whether you train for it or not, the fact that you're out there is already already a good thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure sharing in the energy of just a whole bunch of people who are happy to be outside and swimming or running or biking or all of the above is, is really exciting. Absolutely. And there's always in these circuits, you're always wowed by someone who's 20, 30 years older than you. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, okay, <laughs> oh, I didn't run a great 5K. I just got passed by an 80-year-old. You know, that's, that's inspiration now. <laughs> They're setting a great example and hopefully motivating everyone in the crowd. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, you're probably also passing an 18-year-old as well. So there's that give and take, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I love it. So, Someday I want to be that 80-year-old still running. Oh, I have no doubt you will be. <laughs> so to switch gears a little bit to talk about work, you recently got a huge promotion going from a clinician to last year. You were promoted to chief of specialty, which was your first leadership role, which was over mm-hmm. 20 specialty doctors plus another 20 nurses and medical assistants to now when you've just been promoted to leading the entire pediatric department overseeing about 80 pediatricians. So lots of leadership really fast. Tell us about 
what you hope to accomplish in your new role. Wow. So you're right. This has actually been pretty fast acceleration in terms of promotion. Um, had you asked me five years ago if I saw myself doing this, I was a different person in a different environment. But what I realized is being put in a leadership position really challenges one to say, why Why did I go through all that studying and what do I love best about my job? And so when I was in the first role as a pediatrician, I'm taking care of children and young adults and babies with um, heart problems. But then there's also in the different medical practices I went to, we learned about what works and what doesn't work. That kind of put me in that problem solving mindset. So I I believe in that mindset of, hey, how can I make this better is where I started finding ways to be a leader and how to make positive change, not only for my colleagues, but also for the children. And so I guess in the, in the first leadership, it was more like, okay, do a little bit of improvement locally. And I was able to make some good connections with other institutions around us, but also to improve the quality of care. And then since we had some change in leadership higher up, they kind of look back at what I've been able to do in the past couple of years and the headway I've made in the past year. And the administration thought that since I had so much momentum going, that I'd be the person to take on a bigger wave of change as the chair. So what I hope to do is to bring more unity with my department because we have a lot of satellite clinics. So I'm hoping to connect everyone to say, hey, remember, this is the mission that we all came together for. We're here to take care of underserved children, many of them whose families don't speak English, um, but also to provide a a constant and ever-changing high quality of care. Because we've all gone through privileged schooling and training, but then all these families all have different social economic status, and they they still deserve high quality care. Yeah. So my my mission really is to lead people to all say, hey, let's do this together. Let's if things are broken, let's revise them and see how we can improve the quality of care. Let's bring in new technology or better ways to do things all for the betterment of, you know, us enjoying our long careers and continue to enjoy what we do. I also wanted to um, continue having my colleagues be open to the idea of teaching the next generation, because not only do we teach the residents and the fellows about how things are done after they've been trained, but more we learn from them because they're learning the next wave of techniques and methods and science. I love that. And I think that um, kind of taking what you've learned personally and saying, you know, this is what's worked for me as a leader and then being able to apply it to a new role and to more people, I think is one of the best ways to make sure that your leadership skills get kind of shared far and wide, right? So the administration's looking at you and they're saying, hey, you know, she's done really well in this smaller role. Now we can get a bigger role and um, see what she can do. So I love that for you. Right. And I, I feel like my first challenge that I took upon myself without much guidance, but it just was the right sort of collaborative approach to patient care was I, I made myself present at the nearby academic institution because I sent my kids there for, I sent my patients there for surgery. Mm-hmm. And so I would collaborate with my colleagues there and it became a very strong relationship where I would diagnose the children with heart disease. And for the those who needed surgery or, or procedures, I would hand them off to my colleagues. They would tell me how they did. And then when they were ready to come home, they would come back to me. So the patients knew who was taking care of them before, during, and after and going forward. 
So having established that relationship, I, I was trying to teach my other colleagues to say, hey, you can do the same because as pediatricians, we can't keep our patients forever. Some will need more advanced care. Many of them, all of them will grow up to be beyond 18. And so we have to transition them to adult care. And the earlier that we as providers make those connections, then the smoother the care will be for the long run for our patients, whether it's here or with in conjunction with an academic institution. So I'm trying to show by example to say, hey, I've done it for my specialty. It can be done in others. Forge those relationships. And setting the example from the top as well, because it sounds like you've, you've taken so much that you've learned along the way, and now you're, you're working to spread the things that you've learned down through the different levels. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things of any leadership position is that change has to start at the top in order for everyone throughout the organization to take part and understand the importance and, and how to go about making these changes. Correct. Correct. When you're in a big institution, you may have some people who make the decisions, but who may not necessarily know what the day-to-day interactions are for the ones who take care of the patients. You know, I, I call it being in the being in the trenches with the patients. Right. You know, do the people up top who make the business decision really understand what are our needs and challenges on a day-to-day basis when we take care of children? And so that's a that's a big part of my role as a department chair is to be a representative of my colleagues and to sort of translate that to the administration and then to advocate for things that we need to change. That's so important. You're you're the bridge then between the two. And it's so helpful since yep. you have the experience of being a clinician. Right. That's the word I use often is we're bridging care, whether it's for <laughs> us to them or for us to the institution or for them or for the children from age eighteen until they're young as young adults when they're released into the adult world. So Christina, um you know, the idea that, that women can have it all and, and spread their, their time and their energy between a job that they love, a family, a social life, that's something that generally feels like it's unattainable sometimes or for some people even a lot of the time. Can you tell us what does it mean to you to have it all? And can you also talk about some of the sacrifices that you made to get to where you are today? Absolutely. Um, I have to say it has not been easy from the beginning, nor nor does it continue to be easy. I think as a woman and especially as a mom, we're always in some sense get double, triple duty, what's expected of us in terms of the work front, the home front, and then what we do with the children and our style of um, parenting. So in the beginning of my career, I had a lot of support, supportive husband, supportive grandparents who really helped us a lot when the children were young, because that's when you need a lot of care. But I also accepted and sacrificed part of my momentum in my early career by only working part-time. But again, living in the Bay Area, where the cost of living is quite, quite high, I had to work two jobs at all time just to, not only to keep my professional brain going, but to help out with finances. I didn't need to, but I felt like I wanted to because I guess that with the market and how specialized I am here, I needed to keep a foot in the field if we wanted to stay here and for me to get a job. Right. So after fellowship, you know, I had a young child, but I did work part-time in private practice where there was flexibility. And I remember my mom advising me that when you work part-time, it's not really part-time because you're devoting almost full-time with half the pay. Right. right. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of truth to that because 
especially in medicine. There's a lot of work that is done off hours, especially in charting, prescriptions, notes, and kind of research that you do for your patients that's, quote, not billable hours. And so imagine if you're part-time, you see patients for half the day, but the other half of the day, you're really still working on your thoughts and your charting for that day when you're technically off. But then in my field, you know, I did share some responsibilities of being on call. So even when I come home, pager's on. And so if I needed to go in, I had to drop what I was doing and then travel or go see, go take care of a consult. So the definitions of part-time is really nebulous in that sense of what is office time, face-to-face time versus, you know, your brain still being engaged in the, in the work mode. So, but I, again, I couldn't, couldn't have done it without the strong support system that I had. Mm-hmm. And as the kids got older and we developed a stronger, what we call village, our circle of friends and neighbors who could all help out to pick up and drop off the kids. I was able to work more of a 8.30, to 5 job. And when I got called in at after hours, then we had grandparents, husband, neighbors, and other friends who say, hey, I got to go right now. Can you watch the kids? So we had that backup. So it sounds like um, in order for you to get where you are, you realize the support from family, from friends, from neighbors, from your husband, everybody contributing to allow you to have a part-time job, you know, whereas like it might not have been possible had you not had the support and you needed to worry 100% about childcare or something like that. Absolutely. I mean, some of, some of my other friends went full-time from day one after training and had their families. You know, again, this is sort of assuming that the husband has a, has a steady full-time, usually a tech job or, you know, engineer, lawyer job. A lot of them needed help in the sense that if they didn't have family nearby, many of my mommy friends needed uh, full-time nannies. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us used the after-school care so that the kids had a place to go to to keep them busy. But we all we all made it happen, mm-hmm. you know. Whatever, with all our different parenting styles. But it's <laughs> <laughs> what we find interesting was with, with the working moms that whenever the spouses would go out of town for business trips, the moms would offer to help each other out, saying, "Hey, do you need help with pickup? Do you need help with a meal?" We'd oftentimes joke that when the moms go out of town for business trips, the first person they call in is the mother-in-law or the grandma. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Christina, I know that you're close with your family and especially your own parents. Uh And I know that you're proud of your Chinese American heritage. Talk to us a little bit about what role culture plays in your life. Well, there's a April, as you well know, food is a big focus in our family. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I often say the quickest way to the heart is through the stomach. Uh-huh. That's true. <laughs> uh-huh. Absolutely true. So, so our, our culture is a big part in terms of we do a lot of the holidays, um, both of a Catholic faith, but also in the Chinese American culture. And living where we are in the Bay Area, we have a lot of, it's a pretty diverse Asian population. So there's always a lot of ways to express and share and appreciate Chinese food, culture, dance, and mannerisms with our friends. So that's sort of on the home front, social front. But at work, I find it very interesting because I'm reminded of my ethnicity many times because on paper, when I took my husband's name, which is an Irish name, and when the 
people see my name on paper, they're expecting someone who doesn't look like me. They're expecting someone who's perhaps European or Caucasian. And then they come see me and they're like trying to figure out what ethnicity I am. <laughs> and then I go in and speak Spanish to them. And it's really confusing. So I, I oftentimes get asked, where are you from or where are your parents from? Right. <laughs> and then it, it comes as a surprise. Oh, I'm Chinese American. I was born in the U.S. But yes, I speak Cantonese, but I also speak Spanish. And I married an American. So those are like all my fa- facets of identity. I'm sure that makes it easier for your patients to relate with you because you do have so many different experiences with different cultures. That's really actually a, a pretty cool trait. I think I would love to have a doctor, you know, that I felt like most comfortable with. I think so. It makes a lot of fun conversations and I think it breaks down a lot of barriers or assumptions when we can relate to, again, relate to the food, relate to the customs, relate to the lingo and some of the, I guess, the isms that we that come across in, in dialect conversations. Christina, so another question, changing gears a little bit. Sometimes the person who we truly are doesn't seem to come across, especially, you know, for the people who are on the outside looking in. So what do you wish that people knew about you? And how do you strive to share your authentic self with the world? Hmm, that's a tough question. So I guess yeah, it's a part of a multi-part question, right? So who am I really that people don't know about? Well, I guess I could be how I really appreciate music and language. And I guess my identity is having lived and experienced a lot of different cultures. That's not something that comes across right away, but more in deeper friendships and conversations. Because going back to what I mentioned, you know, when people, if we're talking just about a patient encounter or a brief conversation, people see me first as, A, I'm an Asian American woman, but then I have a non-Asian name and then I'm in a position of leadership or as a physician. So those are different roles and people have different sort of feelings or reactions when they see those first labels. And so many people don't know when they first met, like how I've lived abroad a lot and have been and traveled many places in the world. And that those are the different facets of my experience that sort of define me who I am from the inside, not only from a linguistic perspective, but also a culinary perspective, but also in how I relate to people. From the first meeting, you know, they they would only know me as something who's different. <laughs> but I guess they don't know how different. Certainly, of course, my hobbies and likes, those all come later once you get to know me in, in the personal social realm. And it seems too like they might they might notice differences up front, but then as they get to know you and they get to know that, you know, you've lived in various different places, you speak different languages, you're a mom, you like to engage in um, physical activity and races. I'm sure they find touch points to relate to you about one or more of those things too. You're right. And depending on what the conversation is, so if I'm going to take the example of what I do day-to-day at work, when I have teenage patients, then sometimes, oftentimes, I'll let some of those facets of my life come through in the sense of I have the parent in the room, the child on the exam table, and I can give them my doctor spiel about what to do. But then sometimes I'll switch into, hey, I'm talking to you athlete to athlete. This is what I understand as your training schedule. And this is what I've done. And maybe you could consider this next time you do this. Give it broad range versus I can tell the mom, this is what we recommend as doctors. But hey, this is what I've done as a parent. And this is what I've tried. And this is what works. So they kind of appreciate more of just a black and white analysis or advice. But a lot of the parents appreciate, oh, yeah, you, you tried and 
you've tested this method and I want to hear that better, <laughs> hear that more. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, they're seeing you as a human, right? Not just a doctor. Right. But- and those are facets that any physician or any person who after years of experience in their field can develop because experience creates more depth into your your wealth of knowledge. So to wrap it up, our final question for you, Christina, is what's mm-hmm. Best piece of advice for women looking to take their next step forward? Well, at any age, and I'll start with the advice I oftentimes give to my daughters, age 10 and 13, (laughs) is that keep up with your activities and have a passion for them, not only now, but keep it up long term. And I tell them that there's there's nothing that they can't do if they set their mind to it. And going forward to any career, we, we oftentimes ask our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? I realize that it doesn't have to be a unilateral answer because they don't have to just be an engineer. They don't just have to be a doctor. They could be, as I've shown them, a mommy, a doctor, and on the side, someone who enjoys sports and cooking. Yeah. So I'm installing into my kids that keep up your hobbies, keep up your interests, because those are the, the aspects that are going to make you be a better person with more of a focus in your day job, in what you train to do through schooling so you can have an earning <laughs> in society. Sure. All while having something to live for that you, you know, a way that you love to contribute through your work and through your life and through your hobbies. Right. So my main point to them is do what you love, you know, and have a good support system because, you know, you're not in it alone. There's other, either it's your family or your partner, your girlfriends, but then soon it becomes your village. And then pretty other soon it becomes your other network of working moms and working women that will support you through your journey. That is so true. We women support each other. (laughs) We do. That's That's really the key to having it all is to have. You know, a village. Work a village of people that you can lean on when you need to 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 help you through the best times and the worst times. So, um, right. Well, thank you both for having me on your podcast. Oh, well, thank, thank you. So I wish you both luck. <laughs> we we really loved it. Um, and as always, we are looking forward to sharing more stories soon. In the meantime, check out our website at herstepforward.com or follow us on Instagram at herstepforward for all the latest updates. And if you'd like to reach out to us, shoot us a message on Instagram or email us at info at herstepforward.com. See you next time. See you.